Here are the highlights from the latest episode of Free Talk Live. Visit freetalklive.com for the full episode. In the Trump case, uh, we are just talking about paperwork here. They're saying he had paperwork he wasn't supposed to have. I mean, that's basically all this comes down to. It's a 49-page long indictment. The first 31 counts are essentially all about the classified documents that he had possession of. And then the others are various you know, related counts. It's also kind of humorous because there there is a uh, there is a way to solve these problems, and it's to vote to vote somebody else into office, right? Like, I mean, this is the same thing that came up with You're joking, right? Uh, well, I mean, <laughs> the same thing happened with the insurrection uh, uh-huh. situation, right? They uh, if you don't like it, we went to a, in New Hampshire, there was a hearing uh, that was basically the result of a complaint that somebody filed, one of the Democrats filed to try and remove people who voted for secession in new hampshire politicians uh from office and they basically concluded with well that's not our job you know mm-hmm. um it's you know if, if you want him removed these politicians removed from office vote them out you know vote somebody else in right but of course as you know that is meaningless the federal government level oh i know yeah. i know okay. but I I'm, I'm, sure. I'm just saying like if you're gonna use if that's how do i say this like if if that's like a thing, then mm-hmm. that's that seems to be the process. Yeah, I mean, the only process here is to get. Uh, if there's going to be a vote, it should be to leave the United States. I mean, that's, I think that's a much better idea. That's the only way because normally voting doesn't change anything, right? Like that's the old joke: is if voting changed anything, they'd make it illegal <laughs> because it's just a show. You get scumbag A versus scumbag B. There's a few others that are running in third parties, but they get no attention, so they have no no chance to uh, to ever you know do anything. Uh, so it's you know it's it's turd sandwich one versus turd sandwich two, and you know people decide on that and act like it's going to make any kind of a difference. And the joke is that they're basically one and the same anyway. That's the thing, yeah. So I mean, the joke's on you if you still believe that you can do anything to change the United States federal government. It is. Uh, such a hall of power that it will always attract the most corrupted and the most corruptible people. That's just the end of the story. I don't care if you like DeSantis over Trump or RFK over uh, Biden. All of these people are power-seeking individuals. None of them understand the ideas of liberty. And even if they did understand the ideas of liberty, even if Ron Paul threw in his hat again at age 86 or however old he is, and, you know, actually managed to get the nomination for the Republican Party and actually won, even he would have a limited amount of ability to change anything in D.C. because Congress is still full of scumbags. So it's not like, you know, they're going to be sending him good libertarian legislation or something like that. There was a, uh, I think it was Jay on the other day uh, that said something like parasitic pencil pushers. I don't think I'd heard that term before. And I have to say, it's like like one of the best... uh, descriptions for these bureaucrats so you have to get out uh in order to solve this problem no amount of voting for other people at the federal level no matter how much you like them is going to make any difference because people thought trump was going to come in and make a you know make a difference and he didn't people thought obama was going to uh to get in there and close guantanamo bay and you know be a more peace-oriented president and he didn't he didn't do that uh so like why it is that people who should know better, like I could excuse it for like a teenager who's never paid attention to politics before for like, 
glomming on to some candidate that they really thought was cool and getting excited about it because they've never been really, you know, paying attention. But if you're like, you know, in your 30s or 40s or or 50s or whatever, and you've been through an election cycle or two, then you should have learned your lesson by now. And that is that none of these people who are trying to get your attention and your money or maybe but your volunteer Ian, time are worth your Ian, time. Biden is doing such great things. Really? What's that? Well, I don't know. I was, yeah, I was yeah. just being uh, a yeah. No, these are not great people. Sophie, uh, these are scum. Scum of the earth. Facetious. And the best thing we can do is to get out from underneath them entirely. And hopefully the, the worse things get, the more people will start to consider independence uh, as a solution. So there's uh, some fresh news from a couple days ago. We announced, of course, the attacks this week by the Securities and Exchange Commission against uh, cryptocurrency exchanges. The biggest crypto exchanges, one, the largest in the world, Binance, the other, the largest in the United States, Coinbase. And this is, of course, huge news. I mean, it doesn't get any any bigger than this. The stakes are huge. They're going after these centralized exchanges. And, of course, here on Free Talk Live, we have recommended for many, many years uh, that you follow the, the basic rules of cryptocurrency, which are not your keys, not your coins. If you give your cryptocurrency, your Bitcoin or whatever other uh, coins, to somebody else for quote-unquote safekeeping, and then they get raided by the government, or they get uh, hacked by a hacker, or there's an inside job, or whatever it is, something happens, and they lose your coins, they're gone. You will be lucky if you ever get you know pennies on the coin later on uh, down the line out of this. So what has happened now? I mean, that, it's just crazy that somebody would hand over their crypto for somebody else to hold in the first place. The mm-hmm. whole idea of Bitcoin was to take away control from these centralized entities and give it, make yourself, uh, it basically gives you the power to be your own bank. Right? Yes, that so, was the idea. So, so the idea that you would then go and give it to some other party to hold for you, just to me, is mind-blowing. It's, it's, it's telling me that you don't understand cryptocurrency. Oh, I think you're absolutely right about that. I think that uh, what we're dealing with here is the mainstreaming of cryptocurrency that has been going on for, let's say, since eh, 2017, somewhere in that range, 2018. Yeah. Uh, the mainstreaming of uh, of cryptocurrency has resulted in probably millions of people worldwide who don't know what the original vision for uh, Bitcoin was, who aren't familiar with, probably don't even know who Satoshi Nakamoto it, you is. Know, you know the what founder else is, of Bitcoin. I, I find disturbing is that people people invest in stuff that they have no idea about, right? That's right. Like they didn't even do the most fundamental research right. on this thing that they're calling an investment, right? Like if you if you're going to call Bitcoin an investment and be upset when you lose your cryptocurrency because the government raids one of these exchanges, I have a really hard time feeling, feeling sorry, sorry for him. It, it, you know, it, I I, yeah, don't I mean it probably could be solved in, with a 5-minute video on it, YouTube. Really? And I I invest in stuff, okay, mm-hmm. but I don't invest in stuff before doing at least a little bit of research, a little, you know, doing my homework, you right. know. Yeah, I mean that seems like basic stuff, uh, and and people don't know, and they and of course you know they're used to uh, putting the responsibility in other people's hands. People are used to oh I, I put this money in the bank, it's safe. They've got a vault, you know. There's an armed guard or whatever, right? So they say to themselves, oh, you know, Binance or Coinbase. These are professionals. They're in, they've got. I think Coinbase was bragging that they have insurance. 
yep. um, some number of months or years ago. I know one of them definitely said they had insurance. I think it was Coinbase. Yeah. But I'll tell you what. Insurance policies do not cover government seizures. Yeah. Uh, they don't. It's actually illegal, I believe. It's something like – I'm not sure if I'm ex- going to explain this quite right, but it's something like it's illegal for them to issue you an insurance policy that covers criminal activity. So if mm. if you if you're committing some sort of crime, they can't insure against uh, it. Right. Now I don't know what happens in a situation like this because the person that's being insured, I would think, would be the customer, but mm. maybe not. So it might be that insurance is invalid. Yeah, I I don't think you can claim an insurance on a government seizure of of assets. Yeah. I mean, this is not going to happen. So no, even though they have insurance, it doesn't mean that you're safe. It doesn't mean that you're protected. The only way you can protect your uh, crypto assets is to keep hold of them in your own wallet that you have the keys to. And here's the latest story to give you another example. It just keeps on coming, right? Like the examples of why you need to do this have come out again and again and again, showing how people are going to lose their assets uh, in these circumstances. The SEC, according to Coindesk.com, is now seeking a temporary restraining order to freeze the assets of Binance.us. Binance.us is, of course, the uh, the United States exchange that Binance created. So Binance is a global exchange. It's the biggest one by far. But they, years ago, due to regulatory concerns about the United States, they spun off a subsidiary called Binance.us. There was a notice that came through to Binance users I think it was yesterday or yesterday evening. Uh, Dear user, as you may be aware, Binance.us, alongside other companies in our industry, has become the target of aggressive tactics by the United States Securities and Exchange Commission. The SEC has brought unjustified civil claims against our business, from which we will continue to vigorously defend ourselves, our customers, our partners in industry. Irrespective of the baseless claims and in light of the Commission's increasingly aggressive tactics, Our payment and banking partners have signaled their intent to, quote, pause USD fiat channels as early as June 13th, 2013. So what's happening is their bank, whoever it is that they use to allow their customers to deposit dollars to their exchange, has told them, yeah, we're done with you. We're going to pause the banking channels. Now, to me, that sounds like the bank is closing their account and the word pause is being used here probably in a you know, somewhat dishonest manner. But regardless, as they point out here, our ability to accept U.S. fiat deposits and USD fiat withdrawals uh, will be impacted. So if you, again, if you have not just crypto on Binance.us, if you have dollars sitting there that you deposited with the intention to buy some cryptocurrency, you should either, if it were, if it were me, I would either immediately spend those dollars to buy Bitcoin or whatever other cryptocurrencies you want to buy and withdraw them immediately or order the uh, the wire transfer of your dollars out of the exchange immediately. You know, I'd almost be concerned about withdrawing uh, dollar or yeah, withdrawing dollars from the exchange. Um, I would think that the Bitcoin 
uh, buying Bitcoin and moving it out would be a better move. Yeah, quicker and faster. Probably but, true. Yeah, yeah, you wouldn't have to wait on the banking system. Yeah, in that I, case. and who knows what's going to happen with the banking system, you know? Right. And they're saying that you've got until the 13th. Well, uh, that's like Tuesday. The feds might come okay. in and like stop the right. transfers, you know, once they get a hold of it. You yeah, know? right. Or, if, if this uh, this thing they have applied for, the feds have applied for, is uh, is granted. If it's right. granted today or... I mean, uh, there's a certain amount of time that they can pull stuff back after, you know, they've sent your money mm-hmm. with, the, with the banking system. So. Yeah. Uh, They say here, as part of our customer-first commitment, we're notifying users promptly so you can take necessary actions as we transition to a crypto-only exchange. (laughs) To be clear, we maintain one-to-one reserves for all customer assets, so funds are always safe, secure, and available. Not if the feds snatch them all. They will not be available. Not if the feds order them to freeze the account, Uh, you know... If that ends up happening, as we've seen with the uh, FTX case, you know, the FTX thing where there's billions of customer funds that were allegedly being misappropriated by the FTX people. I don't know if you heard, but the IRS has brought a case or some sort of action against FTX saying, yeah, any billions you manage to recover because they're trying to claw back. Like a lot of the donations that they gave to politicians and things like that. They're oh, trying to yeah, claw yeah, back yeah. as much of the, the money as possible. The customer's money as yeah. possible. But the IRS is saying, no, we're going to take that. No, we, we want those billions for ourselves. If the SEC loses against Binance.us, and right now they've got a winning record against cryptocurrency. We've been following the library case here pretty closely, SEC versus library. That's LBRY.com. We've been following that pretty closely here on Free Talk Live. Library lost that case. They shouldn't have. But the federal judge in the District Court of New Hampshire decided that library token was a security. Well, I mean, you know, in other cases, one of the judges thought, li- uh, not library, but uh, Bitcoin was, or sorry, the blockchain was a person too. So, yes, that's right. I mean, you yeah, yeah, you're going up against a uh, a beast where the uh, where the judge basically doesn't. These judges don't understand what it is that they're ruling on. No, they don't. But in the case of library, they've been absolutely destroyed financially, and so they they don't have any money to appeal that decision. So that one's going to stand. Now the SEC is also suing Ripple and has been going after them for years. We are waiting on the verdict in that particular case. And, of course, the Ripple people, they're like, you know, like a lot of the crypto people out there, there's this cult phenomenon mm. that, that gets sort of generated around popular cryptocurrencies. So there's a Ripple cult. And there's a bunch of people out there that they are, they believe so hard that this judge in the Ripple case is going to rule in their favor. They are definitely convinced. And I hope they're right. That would be great. It would at least go against uh, the library case and maybe give give us some contradicting uh, court decisions in the federal court system. You know, you know what it feels like. But I'm not optimistic. It it, it feels like some of the more um, out there legal arguments, right? And it, that that's what it feels like to me mm-hmm. with the, with the Ripple case, right? Like with people saying, "Well, you should have just argued it differently or argued a different point." And I don't know. Like I I'm I'm a little skeptical because I'm not. I'm not used to seeing wins, you know? Nope, me neither. So, I mean, don't hold your breath on that particular case. That's another big one that's in play. 
And of course, the SEC is coming after Coinbase. It's coming after Binance. And so my point was, even if Binance somehow magically defeats the SEC with all of its taxpayer dollars, that of course costs them nothing to bring these lawsuits against these companies that will be potentially ruinous to the companies. If Binance wins this case and you didn't withdraw your funds from the Binance exchange, then all you'll get later is the ability to withdraw your funds, you know, three <laughs> yeah. years later. Maybe. 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 <laughs> if they haven't spent them on lawyers yeah. or something yeah. like that. Yeah. I, it, so there's no benefit to you to stay in this thing. It, it's, it's, you know, the other thing that's interesting about these cases is if people, I don't think they always, they, I, I, I don't think people, a lot of people understand, like, when you're going up or when you have any kind of criminal or civil case where there's a government involved as an opposing party, you, you're in the situation where they've got hundreds of people, hundreds, uh, you know, uh, you know, we got dozens of lawyers might be working on the case and, you know, all these other folks investigating and, and all this. And, and what do you have? I mean, in the best case scenario, what was OJ? OJ had like 20 lawyers or something like that. It yeah, was, it was a half lot. a dozen. But yeah. that was like the best case scenario. Most people have one lawyer, right? So even if even if Ripple has a dozen lawyers, they're still, you know, up. They're 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 still at a, a severe disadvantage. So another story that I had here tonight, uh, Chris, is in regards to Americans, specifically younger Americans. And how many of them are all about the nanny state? How many of them are all about Big Brother, uh, as uh, Reason.com puts it, in their own houses? According to a recent study. 98%. No, 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 no. It's not that bad. I mean, it's bad, but it's not that bad. Okay. Uh, here, here's a story from Reason.com. Let's, 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 hear the, let's hear the numbers. The good news is that only a minority of younger Americans favor Big Brother-style surveillance of our home life. The bad news is we're discussing this because it's disturbingly large uh, a share supporting such a totalitarian intrusion. Worse, the idea seems to be gaining acceptance. We either need to get a handle on what's going on here or else, or else potentially suffer lives monitored by unblinking eyes of the state imposed by popular demand. According to uh, Cato Institute, quote, Americans under the age of 30 stand out when it comes to 1984 style in-home government surveillance cameras. Three out of 10 Americans, roughly 29% of Americans under the age of 30 favor, quote, the government installing surveillance cameras in every household in order to, quote, reduce domestic violence, abuse, and other illegal activity. <laughs> quote, support declines with age, dropping to 20% among 30 to 44-year-olds and dropping considerably to 6% among those over the age of 45. So that's pretty disturbing, that if you've got friends who are in the millennial or uh, more so Gen Z, it's mostly Gen Z, it's under 30. I think um, Bonnie is, she just turned 27, and so she's on the, the, the borderline of uh, Gen Z and millennial. So if you're under 30, you're either a very young, or sorry, very old millennial, or you're, uh, you're Gen Z, basically. Mm. Uh, and uh, so it's a very, very, very disturbing number here. The survey in question focused on central bank digital currencies 
government-sponsored alternatives to digital money such as Bitcoin, CBDCs would offer the convenience of digital payments but potentially without privacy protections and could empower the state to control what people buy and sell. And absolutely will uh, if they implement it. Right now we're still waiting to see if they actually uh, approve a CBDC here in the United States. They are testing CBDC software. So the ball is sort of rolling on this, but it hasn't actually been approved by Congress to be implemented. Whether that comes sooner or later, we will certainly let you know. But interestingly, more than half of those who support the United States adopting a CBDC are also supportive of government surveillance cameras in homes. So if you agree with the CBDC, then there's a good chance you also think 53% of those people think it's a great idea to have a government surveillance camera in all homes. This is how <clears throat> this is how we ended up with uh, breathalyzers in every car. Yes. Yeah. And that's coming soon. We talked uh, about that last yeah, week. We just talked about it. Yeah. <laughs> just last oh, last Friday on this show. This suggests there may be a common consideration that is prompted by both issues. Likely it has to do with willingness to give up privacy in the hopes of greater security. If that's the case, it may be a growing willingness to prioritize security over privacy. Note, not just the 29% for in-home surveillance among the youngest cohort, but also the 20% support among those aged 30 to 44. And now you're talking about the millennials as well here. So one out of five millennials is uh, supporting government monitoring in every home. 6% support among older cohorts is a sort of random approval for any crazy idea you'd expect to see in a population. The jump to 20% and then 29%, though, looks like something different. But what? Uh, Psychologist Clay Routledge, the vice president of research and director of the Human Flourishing Lab at the Archbridge Institute, said, quote, I think there are two ways to think about this new finding from Cato, and both can be true at the same time and may even be connected. The first is a story of technology driving changing attitudes. Younger generations have grown up with less privacy than older generations. Oh, yeah. Buses, you know, cameras. Schools, cameras. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, the, computers, yeah. the computers that, you know, kids are using, cameras. They're, they're bugged. Uh, he says younger generations have grown up with less privacy because of technological trends related to smartphones, social media. So this finding may represent a greater comfort with more surveillance as a result of how they grew up. Major Payne, you're on. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm I'm sure they even equipped the tidy bowl man with his own little boat camera. It's in your toilet now. <laughs> I, I, I don't even like having cameras on the outside of my house, let alone right. inside, right? Like So anyway, you think back about this. You're talking about people thirty and, and uh, under pretty much. Mm-hmm. It was about twenty years ago that the inner tube took deep root on society. And what I'm bringing up is the stress of the mother during the pregnancy. Speaking of which, here goes the cops flying by my freaking house. Yep, yep. Can you hear them? I heard them. Yeah, I hear them. They're there. All right, what else? They're there. Just try to ignore them. Go ahead. Oh, hell, they're going deep after somebody. They're riding three, four deep. I ain't even got the window open, but I can tell by the noise. Uh, as long as they're not rolling up in your front yard, uh, we'll just keep the well, call going, all right? They've done that before, but they don't do with that <laughs> with lights blaring. They want to yeah. catch you with your underwear on. Yeah, that's true. All right, so <laughs> anyway, what else, man? So, uh, when, the, when the mother is in a stressful situation during pregnancy, she is much more likely to, to throw a hyperactive or even... Uh, what are they, ADHD, they used to call it? Uh-huh, yeah. 
And uh, and you just think about the deer and the domestic stock of the world. When you, when you're born in the wild and there's always something trying to eat you, you got to learn to be hyper vigilant or you ain't going to survive. Okay, I, I mean, I could see cows, that. Yeah, I could see that as a uh, you know a creature who could be. Uh, exterminated by you know a, a lion or a tiger around every corner that could cause a little bit of anxiety i could understand that but in today's society you don't face those kind of dangers you know <laughs> like you know the, the biggest danger young people are going to face is they're looking at their phones they're walking around they might smack themselves into a, a telephone pole or something like that and that well that is the danger is the the eternal stress on the young young teenager trying to be accepted on this internet society where everybody just goes, nah, uh, you, know, you? you know, the crazy thing I find about that is it's so much easier, I think online than it is in the real world. Like it, there's different communities that you can participate in, right? Like you're not forced to participate. That's true. In, on just Facebook with like your other peers in your local you know, area. That's like, true. Yeah, you can select your community. So wide and so broad. If you have a topic, uh, you know, something of interest, right? Like, for example, um, you know, I'm into technology, so I would go onto technology forums, right? Like, you don't mm-hmm. have to go on Facebook. You can find something you're interested in, right? That's and a great point. Find friends and make friends. Well, the thing is, is these these kids they want to be accepted, you know. So the, the the little fishes they swim with the school, and kids are cruel. Well, they was cruel when I was in school, and now you got them just talking with their thumbs, where you can't even mm-hmm. stick your tongue out at them or tell them you're full of beans or you know, and it's just I, here's my opinion and that's that. Yeah, if you're if you're not on the phone, you don't exist to uh, to young people. And you know what else? You can like the the crazy thing is like you know teenagers back in my day you couldn't just block somebody now you can mm-hmm. hit the block button right like I I just don't get it yeah I really don't either uh, but if you're out there and you want to weigh in feel free what else major first time first time I had a little teenage girl maybe 15 years ago put her hand up in my face and say talk to the hand because the face ain't listening <laughs> I about wanted to slap that child. It's like, what? Are you, get back in your sandbox, you stupid infant. <laughs> <laughs> they interviewed this psychologist, Clay Routledge, who is the vice president of research and director of the Human Flourishing Lab, the Archbridge Institute. He was the one who was making this theory that he believes that uh, it's younger generations are more anxious because of Internet, basically. He has been following these developments for years. In 2017, while teaching at North Dakota State University, he wrote a piece for the New York Times examining survey results, revealing declining support for free speech and democracy among younger adults. He worried that years of safety-obsessed parenting and schooling promoted a, quote, culture of victimhood that made children anxious and fearful. Those children then carried their concerns forward into adulthood. Now, that makes sense to me that makes a lot of sense to me too um i i i totally get it um i you know it's interesting i grew up i think in an era when i was younger that didn't have that safety you know Mm -hmm. thing and then somehow in my teenage years it kind of became big right and it was like 
like, okay, you're now concerned about like what movies I watch. Like when I was six, seven, eight years old, nobody cared. Mm. But now that I'm a teenager, people care. Like, did your parents I, fall into that trap? Uh, it, you know, it was just it was just a general thing. Like mm-hmm. it, it's in, it was in society, but it didn't affect your yeah. Family? Like I mean, I remember going to the movies and watching Aryan movies when I was younger. Um, mm, no problem, too. no parents. And um, and then the first time I think I ever encountered like for, just for as an example, um, I went to a movie theater in Boston when I was like 13 mm-hmm. and I couldn't get into an R rated movie for the, it was the first time I'd ever been carded to get into an R rated movie. And wow. I, I just was like, what is this? What are you talking about? You want to see my ID? Like, I just didn't understand that because I hadn't been babied to death. You know, so you were able to get point. into R-rated movies before the age of thirteen with no yeah, parental. Yeah, um, there was there was a theater down the street. You know, uh-huh. it was like it wasn't a big theater. It was like seven or eight screens, yeah. and uh, I could yeah, you could go no problem. Wow. Um, okay. Yeah, I mean, uh, but this was in the you know we're talking about the early nineties as opposed to the late nineties, and the late nineties is when it seemed to become more of a you know there's there was mm-hmm. more babying going on. I feel like. I think maybe it was just I didn't even consider trying it uh, as a as a young person. Just well, because. I mean, were, were you like in a suburb? Did you have to drive to get to the theater? I mean, it, so there, there there may be some other factors here, right? Like if yeah, you had to drive be. to get to a theater, you probably had to have to. some adult with you, so yeah, it wasn't that's true. it wasn't an issue. But if you were able to get to the theater yourself on a bike or you know just walking there, I think it probably had to, to do with whoever it was that ran that theater. In in your particular case, that they just didn't care, I, you know. Uh, but the same thing. That- was true with like um uh what was a uh, vhs and dvd rentals like it wasn't mm-hmm. until a teenager that i ever had a problem renting, renting. like r-rated That's movies. interesting like same thing and, mm. and the funny thing about that was they would sell me like blockbuster would sell me a an r-rated movie without id but they wouldn't rent me the movie <laughs> it's ridiculous I, yeah i i was just like I, really like you, you're i you will let me buy the movie for but a few dollars more it. but you won't <laughs> rent the same movie to me well, I actually, I, I actually had that happen once. I believe you. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, but the whole victim, or not victim, the this uh, parental, hel- what's the term? Helicopter parenting. That's the thing. That that came out when we were doing the show f- almost twenty years ago. Uh, this idea of the helicopter parent, the parent that was always hovering. Yeah, they're always there wherever their kids are. They're always paying attention. You got to call the friend's parent before you know. Uh, you know, you'll let your kid go play with that right, other yeah. kid. It, like, like, like that's just crazy to me. Like, yeah. I understand that. Like, you know, there are some bad parents out there, or there's some bad kids, but like that you have to. I've actually, I actually had a friend. Well, I don't know if I call him a friend, but when I was younger, there was somebody I knew who actually had a parent who would call and w- insist on meeting up with the other parents before they would allow their kid to play with, like, the friend or whatever. It, it was just, I, I just did not, I don't mm. understand that level of, like, paranoia. Hey, Daily Digestion listeners, this is Riley Blake. I enjoy Free Talk Live, and I know you do too, but finding time to listen to an entire episode isn't always easy. So, I produce the Daily Digest. I appreciate those of you who have supported me on Patreon and sent Bitcoin to me to thank me for producing these digests. For those who wish to support me on Patreon, visit patreon.com slash crblake86. If you wish to send Bitcoin, visit patreon.com slash crblake86 for those details. That's patreon.com slash crblake86. Thank you. You've got, you know, parents... Gen X, uh, maybe even uh, boomer parents and Gen X parents who've been trying to 
protect their children from all kinds of experiences, negative experiences like scraping their knees when they're on their <laughs> skateboard or bicycle or whatever. And just this constant overprotectionism is uh, what he says may be you know, leading people to demand more government in people's lives. And yep. I think he might be right. It, and it's scary to think this in that people learn by doing and making mistakes. To protect yes. your child is to undermine effectively education. They're, they're, they're learning. Absolutely. Uh, making mistakes is the only way that you can actually learn. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if mistakes happen to other people, maybe you can pick that up, but you really don't get it uh, until it happens to you. Yeah. I mean, I mean, basically what it comes down to is we'd like to think that we learn, you know, from other people, but it, most of the learning that we really do in life is from making our own mistakes. Which is one of the reasons why it takes so long to bring people on board with understanding the ideas of liberty, because until the government has screwed you directly, mm-hmm. it's just not the same. You nope. just don't pay as much attention. So Routledge's concerns echoed those of Greg Lukinoff, the president of the Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression, and social psychologist Jonathan Haidt in The Coddling of the American Mind, which is an article published by The Atlantic in 2015 and then later expanded into a book. They delved into the then relatively new phenomenon of intolerance on college campuses for the free exchange of ideas. The roots, as they suggested, lay in overprotective child rearing that encouraged anxiety and warped culture. Quote, stories of abducted children appeared more frequently on the news, and in 1984, images of them began showing up on milk cartons. Remember that? Oh, yeah. In response, many parents pulled in the reins and worked harder to keep their children safe. The flight to safety also happened at school, they said. The result was a vindictive protectiveness that smothered dissent and prioritized safety over liberty. And what's the old saying? I don't know if it was, uh, I think it's attributed to Jefferson, but it was somebody else. I don't know if it was uh, Ben Franklin, but those who desire uh, safety over liberty will get neither, basically. Yeah, something like that. I'm sure I'm paraphrasing it somewhat. It, it, it's pretty close, what you, what you quoted. Of course, they say a uh, reason. We can't be sure this is a growing preference rather than a blip. Oh, sorry, I missed the uh, this. A 21-year-old college graduate at the time in 2015 would be 29 now, which is the upper age of the cohort with the highest support for Orwellian surveillance. We may be seeing preferences for security over freedom carried forward into discussions about privacy and surveillance. That we can't be sure it's a growing preference rather than a blip or something younger survey respondents will grow out of. Nobody seems to have thought in the past to ask Americans if they considered George Orwell's dystopian 1984 a viable blueprint for the future. So the question will have to be repeated. But the data gives us something to consider. Yikes. Uh, quote, we don't know how much of this preference for security over privacy or freedom is something unique to this generation or simply the result of youth. However, there is reason to think that part of this is generational. Americans over the age of 45 have vastly different attitudes on in-home surveillance cameras than those who are younger. Well, I mean, they're installing um, youth is in, you know, the population in general as a whole seems to be installing these cameras themselves voluntarily. If what do you, you look mean at by that? The Amazon what, Ring, I think. You oh, right, talking right. About. I mean, this isn't even something that like the government is mandating and people are doing. just happening on its own. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, I mean, there may be something to the idea, though, that it's a younger person's problem and people may grow out of it, hopefully. 
that they're going to grow out of it. I mean, the old um, saying about younger people is they tend to be socialists, but then when they actually have yeah, life happen to them, they change their views. So maybe they're just too young to realize how evil the government is, and maybe they'll figure it out as time goes on. So that's the optimistic view of this. At least one expert studying the issue agrees the surveillance survey results reveal something real and unsettling. Routledge said, I do think this new finding from Cato is just one indicator of a very real trend of Americans, and especially younger generations of Americans, prioritizing security over freedom. While regularly Americans use digital dollars via credit cards, debit cards, and other digital platforms, those dollars are a liability of a private commercial bank that issued them. CBDC would be a liability of the government's central bank or the Federal Reserve, and therefore it would create a direct link between citizens and the government's central bank. Twice as many Americans today oppose the Federal Reserve offering a central bank digital currency as Americans that favor it. So it's 34% of Americans who oppose the CBDC and 16% who favor the CBDC. So we're talking about 50% total having even an opinion about this. 49% of Americans do not have an opinion about the CBDC, and that likely stems from the fact that only 28% of Americans are familiar with CBDCs, which I'm surprised it's even that high. Yeah. And 72% are completely unfamiliar with the CBDC. Yeah. Three out of 10, roughly, of America, or th- sorry, three out of uh, four Americans don't know what a CBDC is. I suspect nearly as many Americans don't even understand that the U.S. dollar doesn't even have any backing on it. You know, the the, yeah. the financial intelligence of the average American is very, very low. Yeah. I, you know, it's amazing. Um, I, I've i actually talked to people who don't, under, who, who don't understand or can't, cannot comprehend that the dollar, they by holding dollars, they lose value, value. every single year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they don't teach that in school. Nope. It's not prices going up, really. It's it's basically money being stolen from you through That's right. money printing. Through that's, inflation. That's what inflation is. It's, it's the, government doing that. It's, it's not businesses doing that. The right. businesses are just reacting to the money printing that the government is doing. But the government will lie to you and tell you that it's the evil corporate companies seeking profits. That's why, quote, inflation is happening. They'll tell you every lie they can possibly concoct to get you to think inflation is something other than them just printing more money into existence. Yep. Yeah. And if you, yeah, and it's, it's interesting because they, they do it through, the inflation is a result of different things that the government does, but one of those examples, besides the money printing, is things like under Trump, they introduced a tariff, and mm-hmm. uh, 25% on goods from China. Well, that's about 13% overall at Walmart when you go to buy stuff. It's increased wow. the price by about 13%. So Right, and then throw inflation on top of that, yep. and mm-hmm. you've got a real nasty situation. Yep. Now, when you break it down demographically, Republicans are more likely uh, to oppose than Democrats. Strong majorities of both Democrats and Republicans are, of course, unfamiliar with CBDCs, but Republicans are slightly more familiar with 34% of them being aware of them, and Democrats 25%, um, independents also 25%. But Democrats are twice, almost twice as inclined, 22% of Democrats, to support adopting the CBDC than Republicans at 11%. Interestingly, a majority, that is 53% of Republicans, oppose the CBDC, while most Democrats don't have an opinion, and 22% of them are opposed. Now, I wonder if the Republicans would change their tune if it was a Republican president 
who was talking about implementing a CBDC. I'd be surprised if the, if the, the Republicans – I think what might be holding the Republicans back is they don't quite understand that they can control you more with a central bank digital currency. Well, they don't want the Democrats to control them more, which is why they're likely more likely to be against that's it. That's true, right but that's why when they're in power, they probably would support it that's more, what I'm saying. and the Democrats yeah. would be more in opposition. Yeah, I suspect we're going to see a flippening on that if, yeah. uh, if a Republican gets elected I suspect you're right. to president. Uh, let's see. What else do you need to know about this here? Men are apparently more likely than women to support the CBDC. Strangely, 22% of men versus 11% of women supporting a CBDC. Why do you think that is? I mean, that's a pretty significant difference. I mean, women have been like taught to hate technology and hate learning, I think. Um, just, hmm. I think that's kind of been the historic, uh, you know? Yeah, but women are on their phones as much as, uh, you know, or at least younger women are on their phones as much as younger men. So. Yeah, but they're not looking at stocks and bonds. They're, mm-hmm. you know, looking at, I don't know, pictures of, I don't know. Clothes, <laughs> yeah, you don't clothes. know. You're a gay man. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, what do I know what women uh, you know, are looking at on their phones? When informed of the fact that a CBDC could allow the government to control what they spend their money on and when... 74% of Americans then decided they don't like the idea <laughs> of the CBDC. And in fact, both Democrats and Republicans don't like that idea. 71% of Democrats and 82% of Republicans would oppose the CBDC if the government could control what people spend their money on. So that's, again, a little bit of good news here. Although, Chris, you're skeptical that it's going to matter when it comes down to it, right? Because the government's yeah. if the government just says they want to do a CBDC, well, what are the people going to do about it? Yep. You know? I mean, you could try to refuse to adopt the CBDC. I mean, that would be a potential thing that you can oh, do initially. Dis- discontinued cash like uh, they did in India. Well, have they I don't think they've discontinued. Uh, cash. I think bills over like a dollar have been discontinued. Right. So that's the question is how what are the tactics that they're going to use? to disincentivize the use of cash and that's one of them when you need a wheelbarrow right to buy lunch you're probably not going to use cash anymore well that's a good point right so we know inflation's happening yep uh and so we've seen what happened in venezuela for instance with hyperinflation where it literally did get to the point where and it is to the point where the cash is so valueless that they're actually using it to like make things out of you could go into the streets in Venezuela and from like a street vendor, you could buy a purse or a wallet literally made from the Venezuelan Bolivar in which you could then put things, right? You got a purse made out of Bolivar. They were weaving. And it's worth more than the dollars it was it was made from. Yeah, yeah, because somebody took the time to make it. <laughs> right. Thing. But it's, it's weaved um, baskets, you know, weaved uh, handcrafted goods were being made from the Venezuelan Bolivar. Uh, I mean, so it's just it was so worthless that, yes, you would need stacks and stacks of it to simply go out to eat at a restaurant. And of course, as you pointed out, it's uh, it was to the point where if you went into a bar and you bought one beer and then you drank that beer and then you bought a second beer, the second beer would cost more than the first beer because and the price had gone up. You know, you know, the uh, the thing with the whole, you know, outlawing cash thing, it's. That what they'll probably do, if I had to speculate here, is they know inflation's happening, right? Right. So they probably will simply, you know, ban hundred dollar. They'll get rid of a hundred dollar bills or fifty dollar bills, yep. and then in a couple of years from now, it's going to take, you know, 
50, you know, 50 bills in order mm-hmm. to buy lunch. And at some point it's it's going to be unmanageable. Well, it already costs 40 or 50 bucks to buy lunch. It does, but we do have, you know, uh, we do have uh, $20 bills and we do have we do, we 50 do. and $100 bills. So. Yeah. No, I think you're right about that. I think they're going to get rid of uh, the higher denomination bills. That's an easy thing for them to right. do. And they'll use they'll use the excuse of yeah, drug same dealers. Excuse. Yeah. Right. And then people say, oh, okay, well, you got to do it. And then it'll take it'll take them some time, right? Because it takes them time to suck the old bills out of circulation. So it's like whenever somebody goes into a bank, they turn in 50s yep. and 100s, then they don't come and back out. There's some other things they'll do, too. Um, and they've already started, actually. Uh, they now charge a they charge a fee, a percentage, if a uh, business goes to deposit cash. Mm-hmm. That's so right. So they're, they're discouraging businesses from depositing cash. Yeah, great point. Uh, so I think you're going to see more of that. You'll also see disincentivization in other ways. So, uh, for instance, if you are going to get a government payment, maybe there's going to be some sort of uh, UBI, the uh, the income tax refu- uh, refunds, welfare checks, yep. some sort of government payment, you know they're going to make that a mandate. Like, if you want the money from the government, then you're going to have to have the government app. Certainly if you want it fast. Maybe. Yeah, maybe they'll still give people the opportunity to get it in a different way, but they don't have to. And then eventually they'll discontinue the the other option method. Yeah. yeah. So that's another thing they're going to do. They're going to incentivize people and, to get out of the dollar. You know, interestingly enough, I've, I've already dollar. seen this happen. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at businesses um, and, like, doing, like, filing paperwork with the government, um, there are certain things that you cannot do as a business or you cannot do as a business if you have more than, you know, X employees or X dollars in, in revenue, mm-hmm. uh, you have to file electronically. Yeah, that makes sense. If you don't have a computer, then you got to hire an accountant that does, right? I don't think just independence in and of itself is going to have any um, positive impact pretty much anywhere in the world, except if you combine it with a migration. Yes. Yeah, that's right. You know, you have to have both parts. Mm-hmm. In this case, it's a migration of liberty-minded people, libertarians, voluntarists, liberty-loving anarchists coming to New Hampshire who could then foment a, not a revolution, but a secession, a peaceful secession, a declaration of independence from the United States saying, all right, we tried this. We're out. Okay, we're just going our own separate way. We're going to be over here doing our thing in New Hampshire. We're going to be free. We're going to let, you know, we're freer than any other place on the planet. Mm. We still have a terrible state government that we have to deal with, but it's not as bad as the rest of the state governments. New Hampshire yeah. is currently the number one most free state, according to the Cato Institute uh, Freedom of the 50 State Study. And we will be more free without the federal government on our backs. Instantly, we'll be more free. Yep. Without that, you know, I think some of the, I think there's some of the fears that people have with independence, um, especially people when we're talking fear about fear like, of the unknowns, the uh, number one unknowns for yeah. sure. Um, but I think people don't understand what an independent uh, states or independent states could look like, right? Like, like we have this idea that if New Hampshire became independent, that there would be border guards and you have to have a passport in order to cross between New Hampshire and Massachusetts or, you know, uh, Maine or whatever. And that's not necessarily the case. Um, Mm -hmm. There's lots of uh, countries that do not have border guards or passport checks when traveling 
between countries. This is something hmm. that, in, in fact, this is actually something that's uh, a modern invention. I believe uh, World War One or World War Two. World II. War Two, I think, is when the passport um, came around. Right. So you know, this idea that like that's less than a hundred years ago, uh, right? Like yeah. this is this isn't a modern invention. It doesn't have to be that way. Um, nothing says that. Oh, there has to be border checks. You know, for for trade. Um, you know, th- these are all things that have been. Um, you know, implemented, but it doesn't have to be that way. And there's a lot of examples out there where it's not that way. I think that um, I agree with you, and I hope that that's the direction things go. I think that's going to be a major, major issue. It's going to be a very difficult thing, right? Because secession isn't necessarily something that is supported by just libertarians. Skeeter is on the line calling us. uh, You're on Free Talk Live. Go ahead. Yeah, hey, I just wanted to say that uh, I think uh, your libertarian, well, your strategy for secession and uh, the libertarian movement in general is a doomed to failure. Okay, no Why one is that? believes. Uh, no one believes that uh, aggression is inherently evil, or that the non-aggression principle. Well, there is are wrong. people who so believe you'll, that. You'll... That's those are libertarians. Yeah. So this, it's not true that <laughs> no sorry, one yeah. believes that. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean no one, but uh, the majority of people, majority yeah. of rational people. Uh, you you're right about that. that. Um, you're I, right. I don't know. They're, about no, the... they're not rational, but the yeah, the majority of yeah. people are definitely okay with aggression, and that's why uh, we have a migration happening of freedom-minded people who are coming here to New Hampshire. And you know whether you're aware of it or not, Skeeter, the libertarians here are an actual force to be reckoned with on the political scene. We've got oh, they ever. we've got libertarians elected to uh, state representative seats. We got the first free stater uh, New Hampshire senator last year and uh, they know that we're yeah, here and they are very concerned. I don't get that strategy either. Huh? I, that strategy doesn't make sense. You guys often preach that uh, democracy doesn't work, right? So why are you trying to fix it through the democracy system? I don't know what you mean. I, well, that's I the system we have. We don't you, have a choice you, or control over what the system is. Democracy we, may be immoral, but it is the system we're forced into. Right. So, yeah, we're willing to work within the system. So you're trying to make the system work, right? <laughs> well, the system sucks. No, I mean, the system doesn't work, but that's why we have a migration so that we can un, sort of undermine it in a sense. Yeah, I mean, the, the reality yeah. is the system is there. People believe in it. So we're going to use the system. I mean, there are some anarchists who refuse to vote and don't. Uh, participate in the system at all, but a lot of us uh, believe that whatever it takes to achieve more liberty in our lifetime, we're going to do it. So maybe you've confused us with some, you know, anarchist types that don't vote. That's that's not who we are. No, I just uh, I I'm pretty sure you guys think democracy doesn't work, right? But, I think you uh, just said that a moment ago, it, it and it doesn't I think work we, well. It, just yeah. because it's the best system, you know, out there doesn't mean it works well. Democracy is two wolves and a sheep deciding on dinner. It's an immoral system, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't function. I mean, obviously, so you, you're just pe- saying you need the right people in place for democracy to work, right? No, uh, I think most of us would be against the idea of democracy. I think we want to abolish the state entirely. But in order to end the state's control over people's lives, you have to do a couple of things. One, you have to change people's minds about the need for the state. And two, you have to somehow end the state uh, in its current form. I mean, the assumption is that you need the state to, you know, to exist or to function as a society. And that's not necessarily the case. There's lots of examples um, of solutions that could and, you know, in some cases have replaced the state systems so um there were there was insurance you know before governments got into the business of you know uh medicine right mm-hmm. like you you have canada and you have a lot of europe that has a single system that's garbage but 
um, you know, they have it, right? Um, so it's not like in the United States doesn't have that system exactly, but we still have a, a kind of a messed up system. But it doesn't have to be uh, where a system where the government has total and utter control. There are other solutions to problems. Um, cryptocurrency is another example. It doesn't. The government doesn't have to issue crypto or have to issue a currency. You can have a cryptocurrency. You can also have other currencies that are minted that are not done by government. There's the gold back as an example. There were coins. Silver and gold coins before governments got into uh, mm-hmm. minting coins, I, I do believe anyway. Um, yep. So it's it's not like the system has to be orchestrated by a monopoly on violence. Mikey calling from Manchester, New Hampshire. Go ahead, Mikey. I'm actually closer to Concord, but um, I just received an email that my ticket has been refunded by the Free State Project for Porkfest. Oof. All right. So this is a follow up on the discussion we had previously where uh, you had called in when we were interviewing the Porkfest organizer, Dennis Pratt, who claimed he banned you because he believed without any real evidence, apparently, that you were uh, messing with one of the online conferences that they were having. He had somebody who was causing an issue in a Jitsi conference and they uh, managed to get control of the conference room, kicked that person out who was anonymous, and then he alleges that you then joined the conference, and then he figured one, you know, that that previous person must have been you for some reason, and that's that was his alleged reason for kicking you out. Yeah, so that, I mean, that's a kind of unusual line of logic to think that I would have come in anonymously and then come in, you know, as my own. So right. it clearly would have been different people, but there's also an, another few updates related to that prior to this discovery, which I literally just discovered and managed to call in just in time. But uh, Tuesday night, I went to the new movers party in Manchester and I reached out to him and we shook hands and, and talked briefly and hmm. uh, had a friendly conversation. And then uh, Carla Garrick was there also uh, next to him. And then later in the night, I approached him he was around with his dog and, and uh, like in the middle of the room and not talking to anyone. And I said, hey, I did not do what you think I did. Again, I'm denying it. Mm-hmm. And he basically immediately laid into me about all kinds of things and called me a number of curses that I obviously mm-hmm. can't say on air and then stormed off. Yeah, that's and then unfortunate. I think yesterday or today he started messaging me on telegram asking me to call him. Mm-hmm. I was busy at the time, so I didn't have a chance to really reply or deal with that. And I was, you know, not really happy with the interaction the other day. So I didn't really see much reason to, you know, respond to him right away. Okay. And he messaged me four times, like, uh, you know, an insistent ex who, uh, you know, <laughs> wants to be heard. Mm-hmm. And so I, I honestly did not get a chance to respond because I have a busy life. Right. So, and then I came home today from work and just saw a few hours ago that my ticket was refunded. Okay. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that you are going to be disallowed from the campground, correct? As far as I know, um, I have not received anything from the campground. I mean, presumably you reserved a campsite, you know, a year ago or whenever it was you reserved it. And that is still a campsite that is in your name. There's, to my knowledge, not any kind of security that is checking people's IDs or whatever when they come into Porkfest. Uh, there used to be years ago, and that was the, when the event was in a real downturn as far as I it. I wonder, though, because they required a ticket in order to get a campsite. The oh, did they? The Rogers did, yeah. Oh, really? So 
I don't know what that means as far yeah, as I don't his, either. his... You may want to call about your reservation and see if you still have it. I am I'm going to do that, I think, at this point. But I, I have... I'm site sharing with like, I have two sites and I'm site sharing with like six or seven people. So mm-hmm. that would be six or seven other people who are now dumped from the site. Oof. And I mean, it, the other thing is if, in my view, if Rogers were to refund this, that would constitute a breach of contract because they did, the contract is with them. Mm-hmm. There's no mention of anything with free state project or an organizer or a single organizer having any veto say over you know right. that I know they try to claim that. I mean, what's but... what contract though are you claiming? He's well, contracted to buy that spot. Reserve... But do they contract not reserve the right the to kick you out if they if if you know you break the rules or something along I those lines? I did look at the terms, and the only thing I can see is that if you break the rules, they can remove you. But there are there are contract laws and and um I guess traditions you could say that. Because I would have made, I've made travel plans and stuff. You can't just cancel something on someone if they made, you know, I could have spent like a hundred, you know, a thousand dollars on travel plans and stuff and that you're now dumping me like this for no apparent reason. I mean, in some cases you can be obligated or expected to provide alternative. um, Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what those, I don't know what those terms are um, that, you know, uh, exist, unfortunately. So I don't know. I don't know. It would be, it would kind of be surprising if they did not have something in there that was sort of a catch all to allow them to, to basically kick you off your site. You just heard highlights from the latest episode of free talk live. You can download full episodes, subscribe to our podcast, listen live and more all for free at freetalklive.com.